Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. As I record this, there are parts of the world that seem like they have completely stopped. So much of the structure and routines and elements of life that we are used to depending on have simply ceased to exist. Yet we are very aware that God has not stopped working during this crisis. Discipleship has not stopped and the resilience being formed in this generation of kids will shape them as the leaders of the church and culture of the year 2050 and beyond. We are so excited about a new event from Awana, the Make Resilient Disciples Online Experience, which is happening on May 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. This event is simply a conversation that we are inviting you into. It'll be facilitated by Mark Matlock, featuring Valerie Bell, Matt Markins, as well as highlighting leaders like Ed Stetzer, Jim Weideman, and Dr. Denise Kesbo. This event is free. It'll be highly interactive, and I got a chance to talk to Matt Markins and Mark Matlock about this event and how they are processing this moment. Mark, among many things, works with Wisdom Works in Barna and co-authored Faith for Exiles with David Kinneman. You can learn more about Mark, Matt, and how to register for the event in today's show notes. Mark starts this episode describing how he is thinking about this moment we are in and how his book, Faith for Exiles, is so relevant to today's conversation. Thank you for listening. Here is episode 29 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. We're discipling in a different cultural context than we've ever discipled before. And I don't think that everybody in the church has completely realized that disruption and that some of the tension that we're feeling is because the world has changed and that means that we disciple in a different way perhaps than we did. And so the kind of the subtext of the subtitle of the book is five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. And what we're talking about is we have a new discipleship mode that we're having to disciple in. And I, I mean, sincerely, I hope that people take the time to read the book uh, because we all now feel like we're living in digital Babylon. Uh, even if we weren't beforehand, I think COVID has really made a lot of what you and David talk about in the book um, come to life in a new way as we have to engage in discipleship. Well, Ross, I mean, I'm telling you, when this COVID thing struck, people were reaching out to me saying, hey, what are your thoughts? What are your insights? I'm like, read what we, put, read what we did there because it, it turned out to be a lot more prophetic than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. But what's most exciting to me as, a, um, as an author of this book and this research is an organization like Awana that has the practical aspect of it that's also been on this resilient journey trying to understand that. And the way that these two projects came together to actually like bring about perhaps real radical change in how we're reaching young people. That's probably been what's been exciting over the last few months working with Awana on this project. That's great. And it's also an awesome segue to bring in Matt Markins to this conversation. So well done for you on multiple fronts there. Um, so Matt, I want to talk about this event specifically and why Awana is choosing to engage in this conversation in this particular way. So what can people expect from this event? But more importantly, why are we doing this? Why are we having this online experience? We think this is the most important conversation in the church today, which is how do we influence the shaping and the building of the greatest uh, generation of disciples? That's yeah. really what it's all about. So 
So I think we have a lot of opportunity in the church today. We have a lot of opportunity as we look at our own students and children, whether it be in our own families or in our own community or our own church. Uh, the question is, what are we doing? As Mark said, those five key markers, what, what can we do to most faithfully and most effectively shape and build that generation of disciples to shape the church of 2050? So this event on May 12th is about continuing that conversation uh, in an online environment. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because I feel like uh, there's a couple things that the event's going to accomplish. One of which is just being able to see people that I'm not related to is going to be really nice. Uh, every opportunity for that is really great. Um, but also, I think that uh, the conversation that we're having at Awana around Resilient, Mark, the conversation that you are leading with Faith for Exiles, is a conversation that sort of elicits two responses with people. And I want to engage in both of those with you guys. Where I feel like, and we knew this from Resilient, where people were coming up after reading the book and saying, and just like almost in tears, just because it's like finally someone said it, right? And Mark, I imagine people had similar reactions to Faith for Exiles. So I want to speak directly to that person who has already engaged with the work that we're talking about and has that response of, oh my gosh, like finally someone said it. What is something, what is the first thing that you would recommend that these people do to bring this cry of their hearts into their local ministry? What's the first right step? The, the first thing is to have a conversation uh, with, with all of the people that are stakeholders and say, what are we doing in discipleship? So I do a lot of work with Barna. Uh, I'm one of their, I'm their insight lead. And um, one of the things that we know from interviewing pastors about discipleship is a pastor say, self-admittedly, we do a terrible job of this. It's time to change that, you know, it's time to make that pivot. And so sitting everybody down, look at these five practices, look at um, in, in the resilient, there's just this great thing on becoming a seeing church. Mm -hmm. And I would just take even some of those rhythms and I would, you know, walk through those as a leadership team and say, how are we doing at becoming this? And literally list every project that your program, everything that your church does, spends time and evaluate it and go, is this the right thing? It, um, David Kinneman and I created some tools that we were leading churches through. You can get them at faithforexiles.com uh, in our e-course, but, um, but they were practical tools to help churches actually evaluate these things. Uh, because I think it's, it's a really important thing to do. But all you have to do is just sit down and look at every program and then go, how are we doing? You know, is this accomplishing it? Because what a lot of churches have found is, one, we all don't share a common definition of what a disciple is. Oof. And we all haven't thought about whether or not the things that we're doing actually make disciples. And I've been, I've been working with leadership teams of churches of all sizes um, on this. And it's one of the biggest ahas when they all get together and they start talking about it, really just taking the time just to reflect on it. They're kind of in awe that they've gone as far as they have without really, really thinking about the intentionality of it. It's just yeah. kind of a given, Oh, we're about making disciples. Okay. How are, does this program accomplish that? <laughs> and yeah. they're, they're blown away. They're blown away. Well, and I hope if nothing else, what people hear from that is that maybe that emotional response they're feeling that they're not alone. Right. You you're not alone. Yeah, yeah you're, you're not everywhere. It, yeah, don't you know, one of the things that I, you know, at Barna, we talk about the fact that we have the spiritual gift of discouragement. 
because <laughs> we're constantly helping people get in touch with reality, um, you know, through, through data. But that actually is a gift. Uh, it should not be something that, that, um, that tears us down, but helps ground us because it's so easy for all of us to believe that we're being more effective or that we're doing things. And what we need is to really get a sense of what reality is so that we know how to respond. We can see what God is really wanting to do. We can see the opportunities. It's not about being discouraged. It's about really being effective. And, um, and I think that's an important thing. I mean, when I speak and do seminars and I get my evaluations back, you know, it can be heartbreaking until I go, wait a minute, what do I need to learn from this? Because ultimately it's taking me a lot of effort to put this together. I want it to land. I want it to be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to do these things as painful as they are because they help us actually accomplish what God's called us to do and to become. Yeah. Amen. Um, Matt, you know, for the person who is, who had that emotional response to this conversation, or maybe even is just feeling this as they listen to this podcast of that, the, the picture of discipleship right now in their church looks bleak. Um, how do we engage that person to take the right first step towards resilient uh, discipleship, particularly in the realm of children's ministry? I think Mark said it when he said conversation. Uh, one of the one of the positive responses, what overwhelmingly positive responses we're getting is people who are doing book studies. Uh, we've had several key leaders who are emailing us and saying, "I bought this book for my whole staff. I bought it for a a staff pastor, and they read it and got back to me." And the next thing you know, we're studying this as a team. So what what's happening is is discussion, which leads to discovery, which is I think part of what Mark was alluding to. Like if we can discover, get visibility into all we're doing to ask the harder questions. And I think it's helping, helping influence that leader to ask the hard question, uh, do, do you agree that there's a difference between doing children's ministry and child discipleship? We, we talk in the book about how children's ministry is a broadly general, broad defined term that can mean a lot of things, but child discipleship is very uh, focused in, in something we can define, something we can pinpoint a very specific definition around so it kind of leads us to one of the insights that early on in the book which is something's changed there's a lot that's changed but yet we keep doing children's ministry as if nothing else has changed so uh coming to that point in the conversation and, and recognizing that child discipleship is a is a very focused defined uh a target to shoot for uh, we can begin to walk toward a path of discovery yeah. And I want to, I want to speak to particularly that person who maybe feels like nothing's really changed sort of the polar opposite of the emotional response to this conversation, I think is a, and not through any fault of this particular person of their own, but sort of a cynical response where they hear Awana uh, talking about this, you know, make resilient disciples or they hear faith for exiles. And there's sort of this wall that goes up of, either everything's fine i'm doing it it's fine kids are showing up they're having a good time or probably perhaps more dangerously which is great another organization is telling me that i'm not doing something good enough and i have to do something different so for a population that may already feel kind of overburdened how do we begin to break down those myths 
Well, I think we need to be mindful of the fact that over the next several months, a lot of people are going to be deeply grieving because regardless of what happens um, when we open up as a country or whatever, um, the reality that we're not going to go back to the way things were is going to be sinking in. And we can't even really understand what that loss looks like yet yeah. because we've been, most of us in most of our States have been under stay at home orders. We've only had contact through the, to the real world through our devices and everything. But as we actually start to try and go back out and think about it, we're going to find that the world is in fact a very different place. So the first thing we need to do is lament and grieve something that we've lost, right? Even if it's a bad thing or, or that this is an opportunity for change, I think we need to just acknowledge that. That's good. Um, we are experiencing the death of something um, that we all, that for different reasons, right or wrong, we loved it. And, um, and now we have to go, now what, now what does the future look like? And the beauty of this is, a lot of times when I've done research, I'm sharing it with people and I'm fighting against the force of just, this is the way things always have been. Right now I'm feeling like, wow, I'm looking at a book like Resilient. I'm looking at a book like Faith for Exiles and the, the ideas contained within. And I'm going to have these thoughts at a moment where everybody's having to reconfigure anyway yeah. Now we can reconfigure with insight and reflection, theological integrity, and we can do something that's a quantum leap in the right direction. But let's not forget the fact that, you know, Jesus said, look, you have not really resisted sin until you sweat drops of blood, right? <laughs> uh, you know, you, you know to, be, to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow after me. This is not easy. Yeah. There is no system, no three-step process that is easy when it comes to following Jesus. Now, Jesus' way is lighter than any other way under the sun, but it still requires something of us. And so let's, let's get excited about that work. Let's get excited about being able to identify with the person of Jesus and help others identify with the person of Jesus. But let's realize the pain of it too. There's some loss that comes in it. You know, um, the first disciples, you know, they're like, Hey, I, I've got, you know, I've got a, my father, I've got to bury him. You know, it's like, ah, oh, let the dead bury the dead. There's grief, there's loss, there's stuff that happens in moving to a new thing. For some of us, the sooner we recognize that there's the death of something, the sooner we see the new beginning that God has for us. That's great. Matt, how do we get the person who already feels overburdened, not only to come to this event on May 12th, or in this case, join this event on May 12th, join this conversation, but also to participate in this movement that we feel like is building. Well, we take, we take one step at a time and we're, we're traveling together as a community. This, this is a significant time in human history. I mean, this, this, what we're experiencing right now with COVID-19, uh, it, it is a crisis. It's a crisis we can't ruin. And I would say to that person, let's just take one step at a time as a community. So everyone's going to be at a different part of this journey. There's people who are quick, uh, early adopters who read books like Faith for Exiles or Resilient. They're asking hard questions and they may be, you know, 80 yards down the field. But some of our listeners may be hearing some of this message for the first time and just say, I'm overwhelmed, right? So pick up some of these resources listen to the podcast, read one of the books and just start navigating through the questions. 
we, we, can't, we can't get overwhelmed to the point where we're trying to answer all these questions at one time. And so I would say, just stick with this community, this discipleship community. You love Jesus, you love the church, you want the best for your kids. So let's keep our eye down the field. Let's keep our eye on that grand vision of, I see a church of 2050 and it's thriving. Okay, well, what are, what are the steps I've got to take to get to that preferred future to help my kids to thrive in that world? So we can't get overwhelmed. Let's just take one step at a time. There's something in particular in both books, but that I think is so important right now, which is uh, this idea of screen discipleship. Why is it so dangerous, particularly for our kids to become screen disciples? And maybe even just define what we mean by that term of screen disciples. Yeah. You know, I, uh, we, we, I just use the phrase screens disciple. It's a little bit more of a neutral term. Sure. Um, and um, because it's happening. And I think it's the one way the church has been disrupted that they don't often think about. And that is that we have a disciple and it's a little bit of an invisible discipler, right? Because, so I went to go visit my doctor and he said to me, Hey Mark, what do you, when I walked in the room, Mark, what do you think you have? And I thought, well, that's an interesting way to start the conversation. He doesn't <laughs> know what my symptoms are. And the reason is because he's all, he know, and I asked him why he asked that. And he goes, I know that all my patients have already Googled their symptoms They've already been doing research. I can actually learn a lot from them because I don't have time to investigate new therapies and, and, and things like that. So he finds that by doing that, he gets also finds out how much they've already started thinking about what their diagnosis might be and all the stuff. So I thought that was a very wise thing to acknowledge that I've got a pseudo doctor called Google, Dr. Right. Google that I've gone to before I actually go to the doctor, right? Yeah. And in the same way, spiritually, we have to realize that our young people are going for the deepest answers to the meaning of life and significance. They're going to Google before they're coming to us. Mm. And I realized that the first time with a group of seniors that I was working with, this one guy was arguing with me about the existence of God. And I was like, wow, this guy's really like arguing above his um, cognitive abilities. And so I Googled some buzzwords that he was using. And sure enough, this website came up, how to debate a theist. Oh, wow. And it was basically Sunday school for atheists is the best way I could describe it. Apologetics for atheists uh, is what the site was. And as I read through it, I realized this student, for him to have absorbed this information in such a way that he could argue it back to me in a conversation, means that he's, he's been here for a long time. Yeah. And normally what would have happened if a student that I was discipling was having doubts, they would come to me usually and say, hey, if they trusted me, if they trusted me and felt, and I have a very vulnerable open, which is why this guy was debating me, but he finally got his confidence up to do it. Um, but normally they come and say, Hey, I'm doubting my faith. Um, I've got some questions. Can you help me answer them? And, you know, I would use a little apologetics, but I also ask them, what are you doing to experience God in your life? You know, I'd want him to, to, to nurture that relationship. Well, now I'm starting at a point where he's already been investigating the answers to his questions. And, um, and now I'm having to come in in a completely different place. Now, honestly, I was blindsided by it. Sure. This guy's dad was on the pastoral staff at our church. 
Uh, he's a, was one of the most active members in the youth group, you know, participating in all the service projects and, you know, everything that we were doing. Um, yet his heart, he had his hand on that door and was just waiting for the right time to leave. And it made me realize I have to ask more questions. I have to get into the life mm. of my students even more because I can't assume that I can observe what's really going on just by the outside. I got to go deeper. And that's what I love about resilient is that it talks about kind of the way to do that and the path to do that and a strategy around that, um, that I think will help a lot of churches, you know, is a jumping off point. And, you know, one of the temptations in all this is just tell me what to do right now. Tell me what to do. The reality is, is God has gifted each and every one of us differently and he's put us in unique contexts. And so while there are some guiding principles and models and ideas out there, we got to, we got to wrestle through it and own it. And, and especially if we're going to be on the front end of change, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. And so give yourself a lot of grace in this. Uh, I, I, a lot of times working with teenagers, I've dealt with a lot of eye rolls. I've dealt with a lot of laughter in the middle of trying to do something serious um, and that's okay. You know, in fact, being able to be vulnerable and tell them we're going to try something new and this may feel really awkward. And then, but let's talk about it after we're done. And, um, and you get good feedback, but you also find that sometimes things that you read as being awkward or uncomfortable or weird, aren't as weird as you thought they were going to be. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things you got, you got to jump out there and do it. That's the time that we're living in. This is the seize the day moment for the church, I think, to uh, do some amazing things with those that are still, you know, hanging in there. Matt, Mark set you up well about some of the tactics, particularly around this idea of screens of disciples. I know, you know, I'm a young dad. My oldest is four. And I often have to weigh that decision between am I going to like really be present with my daughter in this time or am I going to let Moana be the babysitter? I, I don't think there's anything uh, more important. Uh, for a parent than, than relationship. The, the gospel, your relationship with your child or your student is the conduit through which the gospel is passed from your heart to theirs. I mean, clearly God's word is our source in the Bible, but that's often passed through the conduit of our relationship, which comes from our heart to theirs. There's a two-letter word in the first book of Genesis. Uh, it's, it's the word us. And uh, God says, uh, let us create man in our own image right? Like there's in eternity past, there was pleasure and contentment in the relationship uh, in the Trinity, right? And so right there from the beginning, uh, we're, we're seen, uh, it's illustrated that God is creating man to have communion, fellowship, and relationship uh, uh, with him. So in the book, we talk, we talk about this whole idea of belonging, that that discipleship is this, is this combination of three factors coming together, belonging, which is highly relational, right? Believing, which is deeply scriptural. The gospel and the scripture is central to the Christian faith, right? Uh, and then experiential. But I think part of what we're trying to say, clearly God's word is important. Clearly experiences are important. But in today's day and age of, of isolation, and the, the, the flood of secularism coming at us through digital means, uh, we've got to elevate relationship. So as a dad, as a parent, um, I'm having to daily re remind myself uh, 20, 30, 40 years from now, what am I going to long for more of with my kids? 
and it's going to be a relational connection. And so to, to make sure every day that the conduit of the, the relationship between my heart and their heart, that that is clear, that it's clean, that it's open, that there's dialogue and affection and humor and conversation. I can't think of anything more important to that because it's through that that the gospel will be passed along. So I, I just had an amazing conversation with my 23-year-old son uh, last night on the back patio. We're under quarantine together because he came into Texas from New York City, where he lives. And um, both my kids live in New York City. And um, I, I've had the opportunity to see, you know, people always said to me, oh, you're going to be awesome parent of your teenagers. You know, you're like the teen whisper at church uh, because of my background, but I realized my relationship to my kids was really different mm. because I was the parent in that environment, not the youth worker. Right. And I learned some really important things, um, about parenting and also about, you know, working with parents in this discipleship process. One of them is, um, as a parent, we sometimes buy into a false a uh, formula that says if we do all the right things, our kids' spiritual journey will be a straight ascending line. And the reality is if the Bible teaches us one thing about the spiritual journey of people, it's that it twists and turns and goes all different kinds of crazy places. And as a parent, you have given, as a, when you have a child, you have a lot of control and authority over them as they get older uh, they have a lot of agency. And so you have to try and figure out how to navigate that. That's where the role of the church and community is so important. Um, so, you know, my son at the tail end of his uh, time in Awana was assigned um, a small group leader who decided to continue with them through middle school and high school. You know, when my kids look at the spiritual, their spiritual journeys, it's not just mom and dad that they look back on, but it's all this, this network and scaffolding of people in the community and the body of Christ that help. And I think one of the most important things for us as parents to realize is we are dealing with our own sanctification. And sometimes our sanctification hasn't reached a level to where we, we haven't been discipled. So how do we adequately disciple our kids? And, and the church sometimes puts a lot of pressure on parents. You've got all the time. You've got, no, it's still the church. It's still the body of Christ. But one of the best things we can do as a parent is to be vulnerable about our spiritual journey in front of our kids. I have had the experience of watching hundreds, if not thousands of teenagers go from uh, pre-adolescence to adult and hear their stories and one of the things that I will say is that parents that are very transparent about their own struggles and their spiritual journeys, their kids do much better following Christ because what they're, what they're modeling is their own inadequacy and their own flesh and their own dependence and need for Jesus, as opposed to trying to come off of, we've got it all figured out, yep. we're perfect. What's really going on in our world right now is we're fighting for control, right? And, yeah. and that's what got the Pharisees in trouble and how they missed Jesus by just a matter of inches was because they were trying to control the spiritual journey and the spiritual process. And as parents, we just need to sit back and go, man, you know what? I am, I am a recipient of grace. You know, parents always ask me, they go, should I tell my kids about my past? And I'm like, you know, appropriate detail, 
But yes, I mean, they need to see the agency of, of the Holy Spirit's work in your Christ. Now, trusting in Jesus transformed your life. And your kids have the same spiritual DNA that you had. So that means they have the same sin DNA that you had. They're going to repeat some of the same things to see that you struggle with pride or, or, or alcoholism or whatever that those things were that you dealt with in your, you know, lust, sin, whatever. To, to see that you depend and need Jesus is one of the best things you can do for them uh, as a parent. It's not about having all the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about being perfect. It's just about being dependent fully on Christ and modeling that for your kids. They will lean into Jesus day and night if they see you leaning into Jesus day and night. It's that simple. The weaker you are, the better you actually are probably at doing this. The more you have your own strength, the more you're going to lean into that strength to parent rather than into the fullness of Jesus. And so I just want to encourage parents that are out there that are, that are listening. Um, you have everything that you need. If you're following Jesus, you have everything that you need to make a disciple. And that is your dependency on Christ. It's that simple. That's so awesome, Ross, because it harkens back to some of our other conversations, because what's embedded in what Mark said is the church and the family have to be places of conversation, discussion, and and even doubts. And I think the church historically in recent decades has tried to suppress doubt rather than to say, this is a place for questions and dialogue and conversation. Yeah. Well, and I think too, in this moment where we are, in the home, right? It's it, that pressure for parents, that temptation of pressure of, oh, I have to figure it, have it all figured out is so real. But what I hear on both of you is that the church still exists and that the opportunities for relationship, even if they look different, still exist. And what we know is that discipleship is still happening. God is still at work. You know, Jesus said, right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Right. And so what we need to realize is if we can look over the history of the church, the the cultural manifestation of the church has passed away, but the church has not passed away. And this, this is the moment right now where we can need to look and go, what is the cultural manifestation of the church and what is the church? And let's lean into the part that is the church, not the cultural manifestation of the church. That's how we're going to make it through digital Babylon. That's how we're going to be resilient. That's how we're going to get through this COVID crisis and all the disruption going on in our world right now is by leaning into what it really means to be the church and being able to grieve the cultural expression maybe that we love so much. Yeah. Um, And, but to find that new thing, that's what I'm, that's kind of where, what I get excited about. So for the people who are going to attend the conversation on May 12th, what, what do you guys hope they gain from that conversation? What is a, what is, uh, I don't want to use the word success because that feels like it minimizes it, but what do you guys feel like will be the fruit that you hope comes directly sort of correlated to this event? Yeah. First and foremost, this is going to be fun. Like I've been attending, I've been attending a lot of these online uh, conferences. And let me tell you, we're lacking some fun. And so uh, Mark, uh, Valerie, Mike, the whole team that's preparing this, we're, we're ready to gather together with you guys online. We're going to have some great conversations, but we're also going to have a ton of fun together because we think we need it. 
Yeah, and I would say, you know, this is really, you know, the, the beginning of the conversation. And we're going to set the stage for, I think, uh, what's going to be, you know, years to come in terms of how we unpack and, and explore this. So it's going to be foundational. And uh, I think it's going to be a really great asset to people that really take working with children seriously. And, you know, I'm excited just to be with a bunch of people who love Jesus, love children, and want to see children fall in love with Jesus. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Thursday.